welcome to this week's episode of Top Lines and Tales, your weekly livestock podcast. And uh, we like to do things differently on a regular basis on this podcast. And uh, this week we've got another first where we're going for a, a complete live broadcast. So uh, this week on Top Lines and Tales we are at Agriscot and uh, we're talking to a few farmers around and about the place and, uh, and, and our first guest is, is uh, Willie Fleming who is a finalist in the Agriscot Dairy Farmer of the Year Award and uh, congratulations on that and welcome Willie. Oh, thanks very much, yeah, that's, uh, good to speak to you. Yeah. And uh, Willie you're based in Patrick Fleming, is that right, it's around about Lockerbie district? Yes, we're down uh, just five minutes from the border really. Uh, we originally came from West Behaver, but it's, uh, 20 years ago we moved out to Hill Heads. Uh, yeah, it's been a good move. Uh, moved down from West Mego, and yeah. since you've been involved in the farm, I think uh, you've grown the size of the outfit considerably since you, you were involved over the last last decade or so. Uh, yeah, that's right. Aye, we would uh, start off 20 years ago, we were around about 100 milk cows, but now we're, now we're milking about 320. Uh, we started milking through robots about uh, four years ago. Uh, I've pushed yields up with quite, quite high input and high output really. So. I, I was interested in that, I, I think I heard that you were milking three times a day and then you cut down to two times a day and then found that wasn't really working and the robots were the right option for you. Well that was it really, we'd, uh, we'd been milking three times a day for about two or three years and it had been it'd gone pretty well and then we kind of ran into a few starfishes, uh, we got evening milkers and so we cut back to twice a day and lost quite a lot of yield, so we just looked at the best way to get back to three times a day without having the staff problems. There's quite a few advantages with the with the robots, but starfishers would have been your main driver to, to, to get involved in the robot with them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and they tell me that yeah, the, the, the robots are a lot easier on the cow, it's, as, as well as on, on the staff. They can, they can less stress for the cows altogether when they can just go in and milk when they want. Aye, absolutely. I mean, the... The cows probably love them more than the farmers do really, <laughs> once they take to them they get in and uh, you know, our cows they can get milked, higher yielded ones get milked four or five times a day which takes the pressure off the other and we find they're not standing in a collecting yard, you know, waiting to get milked for long so their feet are a lot better. And they enjoy literally going and when they're ready they just get up, I mean this is something that's new to me, but they, when they're ready they just walk along, have a lie down, they decide it's time to stand up and they just go and walk in there and just get themselves milk without any, any interaction at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah so ours are free access so they can go whenever they want and uh, but they do they do get fed through the robot as well so that is an encouragement to go in sure. and uh, they get a bit of cake in the robots. But you, you're very much involved in elite genetics in, in changing I suppose the genetics within the cows to suit the system that you have and, and particularly to suit the robots. Yeah that's right, we look to we we'll take particular attention to the other traits to make sure the, the teats are the correct size and placement. But uh, probably since since we've got the robots, you can uh, you, you find that the higher genetic cows can express themselves better. Like they can get to their potential greater than they would in a parlour system. I think you know, okay. a high yielding cow can get milked five times a day and can get to that seventy litres easier than she would in a parlour. And there's no antagonism between this and the correct placements, teat placements, and the and the yield. Well. You tend to find your robot will be more productive if the, the type of cow is better. And what I mean by that is uh, the time it takes for the robot to attach is a lot quicker if the take placement and size is, okay. is better. Yeah. So then you're, you're, the time that that cow is in the robot is less, therefore you can milk more cows through one robot and get more milk out of that, out of that robot, okay. if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense there. And, and, and moving on to some other things, you are involved, very much involved in, in RET and you do some, uh, you, you bring some students on the farm there and educating the youngsters back into the, into the trade. Yeah, well we try to do a bit anyway, try to uh, 
as many school visits as we can on the farm and just show them, try and educate them where the where the milk comes from and show them how well they look after the stock. Don't, don't let them get their fingers into the complex, complexity of the robots themselves. No, and there is a lot of technology behind the robots as well, when, say with the feed, the feed side of it again, you can feed, I was talking to the Lily guys earlier on, and you can feed four or five different products all into the one bin and, and liquid feed and all sorts. Yeah, so well, we only feed, we feed the one cake through the robot, and we, but we also feed the liquid feed as well. Okay. It's just a, a high energy liquid that we feed for the first three weeks. Uh, Lactation just to give them an extra energy boost. And the technology in there, the, the, the guy again was telling me the transponder on there can tell you all sorts of things about the cow from cell counts and. and, and yeah, it does. Uh, they have great things. They can do the, the main ones would probably be the rumination and the activity that you get off the transponder that it, uh, you know, it picks up the cows in heat when the activity is up and then it picks up sick cows if rumination is down. But it does drag in a whole load of other information off the robot to give you a, kind of gives you a health index to. You know, it'll give you a list of cows you need to go and look at. Yeah. Incredible advance in technology, isn't it? And the dairy farming farming sector is so much further advanced than, than maybe the beef and, and then the sheep and the rest of the country is. But uh, you will get so much information out of there. It must. You, you need to be a computer whiz to, to to understand all this stuff, or is it broken down into layman's terms by the time it gets to you? Uh, it's fairly simple, really. It's uh, it's like I suppose it's like having a smartphone. Like you, you know, you think. So maybe the older generation might not know how to use a smartphone, but once they get I don't. it, <laughs> once you get it and play about with it for a wee while, and you get the hang of it. And the, the robots are similar; it's a, a kind of touch screen. But, uh, well, even the, the computer dashboard's fairly user friendly. Uh, you don't need to you don't need to be too smart. I'm not that computer literate. I can work it okay. You can work it fine, and you can understand the data that comes out from it. Don't yeah, you? yeah, yeah. Okay. And moving on, you're involved in a few other things. I believe you're. Are you chairman of the South West Holsteins or getting towards that? Uh, yeah, yeah, I just went on as chairman just uh, two or three weeks ago there. So, uh, and how's the dairy sector looking for the South West down there? How, uh, are we going forwards or backwards at the moment? Well, you know, down the South West Scotland is kind of it's quite often foot flat to the floor with a lot of folks. So it's, yeah, it's driving forward. Uh, still a lot, well, there maybe not as many cows going on as there has been in the past, but everyone's still moving forward. So, uh-huh. Okay. And going on to, to um, um, we're, we're on the Harbro feed stand here now, so we better give them a mention. And you use uh, Maximum for your, for, your, for your whole crop? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we treated all our whole crop. We did some spring barley and winter wheat, and we took it till it was at combinable stage. And uh, we chopped it with a whole crop header, treated it all with the Maximum u- uh, urea. And this year's bro, it's come out really, really well. It's, it's a really nice feed. Good. Yeah. And you and I think you feed cow feeding. Do you keep a lot of your heifers with sex semen now? You keep more heifers too and start and sell yeah. them on? Yeah, so I uh, use a lot of sex semen with a lot of extra stock. We sell quite a lot of surplus stock. And it's uh, the calves are all fed uh, hardwood starter pellets and cake. Okay. Yeah. So and, and you and you keep a few sheep as well, I believe. It used to be Suffolk's, if I remember it, going back the way, and now you guys are in, right. in Texas. So I uh, used to have quite a lot of Suffolk's, and it's quite a main part of the business. Yeah. And it was really after we moved farm. We had, a, we had a wee sale of Suffolk the year that we moved farm uh-huh. to create a bit of cash and then five or six years later we talked the Edinburgh sale and I alarm at 45,000 right. and off the back of that we decided just to sell a lot of them because at the, t- at the time we were, you know, we were expanding cow numbers a wee bit and it was, it was just, just my father and I and one other working at that time and we were, the dairy was taking up more time and, so we thought it was a good time to sell the Suffolk's but yeah we now keep about 20 decks just for a hobby uh-huh. more, a, more a social thing than anything else so, social thing and sometimes an expensive thing as well uh, but everybody yeah. needs a text somewhere along the line well like, as I said earlier on I, I absolutely wish you the best with uh, 
with the chance of, of uh, winning the, this grand award there. But a uh, great honour to be in the, in the final three there. And William, congratulations to you. Oh, thanks very much. Okay, well, uh, good luck to you. And we'll maybe hear the result later on today and, and, uh, and uh, we'll see what goes on. Thank you. So I have with me uh, Callum McDermott. Remains of, of Murphy, Murphy, that's right. right. Whereabouts is that? That's in Aberfeldy, okay. up in Highland, Perthshire. Uh -huh. And um, so you, you farm a lot. You're a sheep man. Yeah, yeah sheep man. Been there all our days. Okay. What numbers of sheep do you run? Yeah, we've got about thirteen fifty ewes. Thirteen fifty. Okay. Yeah. And running high ground. Uh, middle, middle to high ground. Yeah. Yeah. We go from about three hundred feet to just over a thousand feet. Okay. And what sort of breeds are you running on them? Any blackies? No, it's all Ab Aberfields. Aberfields, okay. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Shepherd Ed and myself, um, for the last six years, have been breeding a new flock, uh, a bit more resilient and a bit um, basically resilient for winter, really. Okay, what's the makeup of an Aberfield, if you don't mind telling my listener, because it's not something we're familiar with. Uh, so Aberfield is an innovous breed. Okay. Um, it, it's a lot of New Zealand genetics, and um, I think my makeup for that is a. Bit of a blue face Leicester and a Texel uh, to make a bit of a, a, a mule in that form, and then I think it has the Inverdale gene in it, so that um, helps to create its resilience. Uh, but obviously, at the same time, okay. And you're then you're lambing those um, outside, or is this an animal that, that, that comes in the way? Uh, a lot of them can be lambed outside, just due to the nature of where we live. Um, we take about a third of the flock indoor. We have a full indoor system that we've always had, okay. and the weather can catch you out. So some of the delicate ones and some of the high numbers, we bring them inside. But the conditions scored and, and, and select accordingly. But the New Zealand genetics generally edge towards easy care, so is that, is that still, yeah. still a... Yeah, a you can see that. Easy care, but also from the, the health of the sheep through the winter. Sure. Brilliant for that. And you are a Harbour customer? Well, we bit? are a Harbour customer, always have been. My wife actually was a Harbour nutritionist for 10 years, so... Okay. Um, we um, have known her for a long time and been involved in their, their, their uh, formulations of feeding. Okay. And um, I'm afraid we are using less and less Harper Peak, just due to the breed selection, but not because of the quality of the feed, more just uh, the animal's going to do the job itself. Not needing it, yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's the best way to feed animals, I think, if they can feed themselves. But you do use their premium you yeah, and, and, and the lamb feeder as well. Yeah. yeah. And you finish all the lambs yourself? Uh, we have done until this year. This is the first year we haven't been finishing land. Just the price of fertilizer going up, the price of feed going up, is the price of land going to hold. Uh, it turns out that the actual margin you're making on the last 400 lambs needing feed is about 5%. And as a total um, sale of our animals, it turns out it's a small percentage benefit. So we sold them store. Okay. We're not gambling. So we've decided not to gamble. No, I'm going to say it can be a gamble keeping cheap uh, through the winter. Well, um, it's very nice to speak to you, uh, Callum, and, uh, and we'll congratulate you on being shortlisted for the Sheep Farmer of the, of the Year Award uh, here at Agriscot. Very good. Um, wait and see how it goes, but I'm sure there were shorter numbers, so they needed someone to fill a seat. No, I'm sure they weren't because they do look for progressive uh, and farmers who are doing a challenge, and that's obviously where you, where you come into it. So I wish, you very, wish you very much luck with that today. Good on you. Okay. Thanks. I have with me now Fraser Moore from uh, from Orkney. Fraser, um, welcome. Thank you. And uh, Fraser, you don't actually work for Harborough as such, although you're wearing a Harborough jacket there, but you are an agent for, for Harborough and based in Orkney. Would that be about right? Yeah, we'd be a sub-agent for, for Harborough and Orkney, yeah. Okay, and, and uh, how, how's, the, how's life in Orkney these days? Are you getting into winter now, a bit blowy? Yeah, it's windy and wet as always. Mm -hmm. It's a uh, doctor's swimming everywhere. <laughs>
And with regards to feed, then your most of your feed, I suppose, Orkney wise, would be based on beef rations, is it? Yeah, more or less. There's, there's getting fewer and fewer dairies, but the dairies getting bigger, so it's, it's mainly beef. Mainly beef, yeah. Yeah. Okay, and uh, I better give him a plug for the, the the company that you work for, is it? It's JW Tates. JW Tates, yeah. And you cover the whole of the Orkney? Yep. Okay. Yes. And uh, whereabouts are you based up there? Uh, you come from a small parish called Rainham. Okay. And you farm yourself? Yeah. So you keep on? We have uh, 10 breeding cows and uh, about 280 ewes. Okay. And uh, I, I recently spoke to, to a, um, a friend of mine, Liam Muir up there. Does, uh, do you know Liam? Oh, yes, no, well, yeah. Yeah. Okay. See him around the ring every Monday. <laughs> That's right. Liam gets everywhere, doesn't he? Yeah. Good, good. Well, it's, it's great to speak to you anyway, and uh, I hope we have a busy day here at, uh, at AgriScot, and uh, I hope everything uh, goes to plan and we get some orders. Excellent. Thank you very much. Okay. Cheers, mate. I've got with me now uh, Danny Hare from Drumbreden, and, um, who was last year's uh, AgriScot Beef Farmer of the Year there. Congratulations on that award there, and welcome to, to, uh, to the podcast. Thank you. And uh, Danny is a good customer of Harbour, and because we, we are involved with Harbro and the great sponsors of ours. I've got Jordan with me as well. Uh, Jordan, who, who uh, supplies Danny with, uh, with with feed. Yes, I, we've got a very good relationship with Danny. Uh, we work pretty closely, yeah. And uh, Danny, you farm upwards of a thousand acres. And just tell us just what, what, what goes on there at the farm at Drumbread. Yeah, so r- roughly just short of 1,400 acres. Um, they have about 250 acres of homegrown barley, spring barley, about a thousand yows. 360 suckler cows and not all followers are finished on farm. All followers are finished on farm as well, so you're running you're running a lot up over a thousand head of cattle. Now, there's roughly a thousand head of cattle on the farm at any one time. Yeah. Okay, and, and I believe you work mainly with dairy cross uh, um, dairy cross beef, is that yeah, right? Yeah, all, all our sucklers are, are first cross dairy, uh, Angus, Hereford or limousine cows. We just like the milk to stay on our cows and the temperament that it brings when they're the first cross of their bucket of year. Where do you supply your, your, your beef out to? All the cattle that are finished on farm go to AVP currently and all lambs that are finished on farm go through Galloway Prime Store which are sent to Morrison's at Turriff. Okay, and, and uh, you've developed something called the 2010 system which is quite intriguing to me as, a, as an outsider a little bit there. Just tell us a little bit more what the 2010 system does for you. So the 2010 system is mainly just developed around the days at the bull goes into cows. Okay. So we carve over a seven week period, three blocks of 120 cows are carved in January, February, June and July and October and November. Uh-huh. Which gives us constant cow flow. So the 2010 system is the 20th of the month and the 10th of the, the following month, which which is our bulling dates. So okay. that's, that's what we call the 2010 system. So you're carving basically three times a year, yes. seven week blocks, isn't that right? So seven week blocks. Okay, yeah. and you bring times a year. and you bringing those cows in the calf? So the June and July ones, and we've actually pulled the October and November ones forward about a fortnight to get more of them carved outside as well. They're all carved out, but we bring the cows in the last week of January for February and March. They're all carved in in cubicles, walked onto a straw bed, cork to carve, and then out within 24 hours. And you mentioned you use a variety of bulls there. Is there different bulls that suit different times of year for your carving? So a Charlie bull is predominantly used over the cows. In this back end, we've had our first crop of Solaire calves okay. coming out of heifers. We were having slight issues carving heifers to limousine bulls. And we moved to the Solaire. We had 24 due to calve. We've had 24 calves and have not touched anything. Everything's carved by itself, up and going. So those 
well, those carries will now go to the Charlie Bull for the second half. That's an interesting uh, advert for the Celebre breed there, that they're carving a lot easier than the limousine. And, and obviously it's down to labour as well, if you can carve them a lot easier. That kind of stuff. Do you keep a big labour force there, or is it a few of you? There's myself and my father and three others. Uh-huh. Um, see to all the day-to-day running, as well as one part-time staff member who looks after 600 blackface ewes at another farm. Okay. Okay, it sounds like a sounds like a big operation you've got there. Let's just go on to the feeding side of it. You say you finished there. You do grow uh, um, uh, whole crop? No, just spring barley. Spring barley. And, and treated with Maximum? We treat it with Maximum in 30 ton batches throughout the back end. We dry all our grain into a grain store and then we treat it with Maximum uh, as a product which is alleviated the need to buy any outsourced protein and finish everything in a 12.5% protein ration. Okay, and if I can just bring Jordan in there, um, Jordan, tell us a little bit more about sort of the, the successes of Maximum and and, uh, and where it fits into the chain. I think Maximum's a, a great product, just as Danny said. There, it, it really, you know, helps the bottom protein for these farmers, um, and, it, and it's a far safer feed for what he's doing. You know, it's it's brilliant for his job, and uh, you know, and even for younger cattle, it fits into a lot of different different systems. Um, so yeah, it fits this system extremely well. Excellent. If we just go back to the suckler cow side of it, uh, can you, how's, the suckler cows are under challenge at the moment. Like the numbers are decreasing fast in the country. There's a lot of rewilding and things going on. How do you see the challenges in the suckler cow market coming to you? Currently, I don't think there's any incentive to keep suckler cows, unfortunately. Um, we managed to do the whole job right through from being born to finished on farm. And the margin in finishing cattle currently is just negligible. Until we either get the price up or the cost of keeping the cow down, um, we're in a sticky wicket just at the moment. I'm going to be speaking to the to the um, cabinet secretary for agriculture shortly. There, with uh, regarding suckler cows, would you have a word to say to her? Um, I've seen some of the consultations going forward, and I think it's maybe unfair to just hit at her unless there's a a suckler calf premium which incentivizes the keeping of a suckler cow going forward. The price of fertilizer, price of fuel, price of labor. Um, I just can't see it. The suckler herd will continue to drop until we're incentivized to keep them. Well, let's hope we can keep it all, all profitable there. And as I said, congratulations on winning the award this year. You won't be quite so nervous as one or two of the guys about here waiting for the results today. But uh, congratulations on having that mantle for 12 months and, and now passing it on now. Lovely. Thank you very much. Okay. And Jordan, thank you. Thank you. So I've got with me now uh, Dave Smurthwaite, uh, um, who's involved in, in Matthias, but we do. We, we run 300 and we've got about 340 cows in the herd uh, milking for Mackey's uh, Limited in Aberdeenshire. All our milk goes to the factory. Uh, and you are a manager within Mackey's, is that right? I am the dairy manager. I look after all the livestock and I'm responsible for producing the milk for the ice cream factory, which is on the same site. Okay, on the same site. So let, let's just run through a little bit of what you feed there. You run a wagon ration there, sort of mainly whole crop, homegrown, homegrown feed. We do. We, we, we've, we utilise as much grass silage as we can, a bit of whole crop wheat growing on the farm also. Um, we get draft from the local distilleries, it's a great feed for cows. We then supplement with some protein that we buy in. I'm weaning myself off soya slowly. I haven't just committed to it 100% yet, but I'm, I'm getting there. 
All of my barley is treated with Maximone. Yeah, I've treated 350 tonnes so far and have another 300 tonne which I'll treat later on. I just don't have enough storage to do it all at once. Okay. And, and if we go on to, to Mackey's, you say all your, your milk goes straight to Mackey's for the Mackey's ice cream and, and chocolate and, and um, crisps and various things, but mainly the dairy side that we're looking at here. Yeah, well, I'm on the farming side, but it's a, you know, we're a big big operation all on a, on a, on a, on a working farm yeah, where we produce about 80 million litres of ice cream on the same site. We, ha we have a chocolate factory on the farm. I mean, what's not to like working on a farm where they produce ice cream and chocolate? Absolutely right, and crisps. <laughs> and and um, would it be a slightly different yield you're looking for, different um, um, uh, milk for ice cream that, that, that most other people are looking for? Is it a specialist into that? Well, we, we're producing mainly a liquid product. We're trying to increase the butterfat through genetics and feeding. Um, we still have to supplement the ice cream with some, we buy in some cream from locally sourced, locally sourced cream uh, to make the ice cream. But we're really trying to chase as much liquid as we can and we're, we're successfully doing that. The cows are milking really well and have milked really well in the last sort of 18 months. Uh, you wouldn't supply, supply solely the, the, the requirement for Mackey's. They'll be buying milk in from elsewhere as well. They buy milk locally at times. I, I can supply for so many months of the year. Um, we're trying to produce 12,000 litres a day right. um, as, much, as much as we can. And so far, we're achieving that. And that's a huge yield there you're looking at, it's a, a 42 kilos a yield. Yeah, cows are producing about 13,000 litres a year. Um, that's what my cows are doing, so we're pretty chuffed with them. And have you the genetics changed within your herd that you are specifically breeding these animals for that extra butterfat? Yes, I've been working closely uh, on the breeding side of the cows for the last sort of three years since I've been in the business. We've been doing a lot of genomic work and really trying to focus on fat proteins. We're just trying to get cows because these cows are milked on robots, so there's a lot of work goes in to try and get a, a robotic cow. Okay, and you all you use all robots now? Or, or, or? Everything's done by robot. I mean, Mackey's were one of the first to put in robots. They put them in about 2002, so they've been a robotic herd that time, and we've now got six robots um, milking cows 24-7. Uh, that's, that's the way to milk cows. I've heard a lot about robots today. It's something that was new to me until a few days ago, but uh, yeah, the robot seems to be easier on the cow as well, is that right? Oh, totally. I mean, a cow can come and go to please herself. We think they're fantastic. I wouldn't. I wouldn't milk cows any other way now. And, and you say you've had robots in there best part of 20 years. Has the robot been changed? We've got the same old robots. Has the technology moved on? Technology has moved fantastically on since then. Um, we, the robots were changed about 2014 to the A4, and we put in an A5, the newest one, about 18 months ago, or maybe come out for two years, and the, the, the improvements are, are there to be seen. Just great. A huge investment, obviously, but I mean that takes place of, of a lot of labour there. You're in, you're in fairly low on labour because of the robots? Yeah, I have two, two dairymen, myself and a calf rearer, and we do a lot of other things on the farm as well. So, uh, you know, we, we're, we, we have a little bit of spare up our sleeves, but not a lot. And Mackey's supply ice cream, of course, across the, across the UK, across the world, I guess? Yeah, across the UK predominantly, but we do have uh, European markets. We do a bit of stuff over in Taiwan and that sort of area, which is, I find, rather strange. But one of the other things we do produce a lot of is ice cubes on the farm. We produce 50 tonne ice cubes a week. 50 tonnes of ice cubes a week? Yeah, so I'm lots of gin and tonics. <laughs> I'm liking your place, I need to come and pay a visit. That's right. brilliant to speak to you, to you Dave, and, and uh, fantastic to hear that it's local, locally sourced Scottish milk that's going into all that ice cream across yeah. the world. No problem. Right, well, thanks very much for your time. Uh, so I have with me uh, Mary Goujon, the Cabinet Secretary for Rural Affairs for, for Scotland. Welcome to Top Lines and Tales podcast, it's an honour. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here to speak to you. Uh, and you come from, from a, a rural background, but not necessarily a farming background, would that be right? Uh, yeah, that's right. Well, I live in Berikin. 
and that's where my, my family are from. They're from around Angus in, in the northeast. Okay, and, and you came recently came into the, to the sector, I suppose would be the right word, from from sort of um, public health and, and sport. It's, it's, a, it's a change, possibly a bit of a learning curve coming here? It's been a massive learning curve. I was first appointed Minister for Rural Affairs in the Natural Environment in 2018. Mm-hmm. I had a short stint in public health and for being appointed Cabinet Secretary last year. So it has been, it's a, it's a massive portfolio where there's uh, lots of transformation going on at the moment, but so yeah, definitely a steep learning curve. Is there anything that's actually surprised you in and amongst the, the, the rural or the agricultural business, should I say? Something that you weren't expecting, perhaps? It's been fantastic. I think definitely one of the best bits of my job is getting out and about on farm, doing different visits. And I think one thing that's been incredible to see is, I think it's just all the technology that's out there within the different sectors as well. Learning more about that, seeing more about what people are doing to whether that's improving efficiencies in livestock, improving soils on farm, it has been just really, really fascinating and quite exciting, actually. And it's a, it's a fantastic event this year, the, you know, the AgriScot, and I know it's quite dairy-focused, but everything's here on display, and, and uh, as you said, the technology moving on in the livestock sector. Have you had a chance to have a mill round? Well, that's what I'm doing just now, so I've been in a seminar this morning, and I think that's the best thing about AgriScot being more back to normal, is getting the chance to get so many people together. And for me, it's great to have everybody in the one place. Sure. And hopefully, yeah, but I get the chance to speak to as many people as possible as well. Well, that's brilliant. And I saw you were presenting the awards to all the, 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 the innovators of the year and the, the beef farmers of the year and whatever. And it's fantastic the effort these guys put in there, isn't it? They're all, they're all winners. It's just amazing to actually see, I think, the improvements that they've made on farm and some of the work that they're doing, which is incredible. And I think it's just great to have this opportunity to celebrate that as well. Indeed. And Harbro, we're on the Harbro uh, trade stand here. And Harbro had you on farm visits in the northeast uh, this year. And uh, was that an education for you? What did you take away from, from farm visits? It really was. I visited the, the Mestons and I think it was just great to see some of the work that, that they've been involved in. Again, some of the improvements and how they've been adapting their business as well. And actually just finding out more about their business in general. I think that is one of the most important bits of my job. As I was saying earlier, it's one of the, the best things is getting out and about on farm. But I think for me, it is about learning about each of the, the sectors, what some of the concerns are at the moment, as well as how we're looking to develop things for the future as we develop future policy as well. Uh, so yeah, it's been fantastic to get out and about with Harbour. And I look forward to doing more. Oh, good. Yeah, I hope so. I think uh, I think David's got you lined up for some more visits yet, which would be great. And companies like Harbro, they invest huge sums of money into research and, and development only every year to drive innovation and make sure farmers remain efficient and, and profitable. And uh, what areas would you like to see companies like Harbro, what areas would you like to see them do more research so we can maybe future-proof the industry? I think it is that innovation and the continuing investment in that research and development, which is so critical. I recognise that as we're developing future policy, I think that we're seeing it's, it's the innovation which is the key driver for some of the changes to help us adapt to some of the challenges that we face as well. And that's where I think it's through the, the nutrition, through looking at what's happening with methane inhibitors as well and continue to look at that, driving those efficiencies and see what we could do to do, reduce emissions. So I think the continuing investment in that is what's really important. And, and I know this is mainly a dairy show, but we have a lot of listeners obviously in the suckler cow business and the suckler cow producers, some of them are a little bit concerned at the moment and contemplating their future in, in the industry. What, what, do you, what do you say to the suckler cow producers that, 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 that are just now going forward? I think firstly, I would just want to say and emphasise that we support our, our livestock industry. I think it's, I, I want to make sure that we see an industry thriving going forward that we have productive, resilient businesses going forward as well. It's 
critical for our for our nutrition. We need to have that livestock production there, as well as I mean earlier with QMS, I was out at the, a big trade show that they were seeing in Paris and seeing just the huge demand there is for what we produce in Scotland. We produce livestock and we produce it really well. So uh, yeah, I think I would just want to to get that message out there. Okay, and the future of the sustainable agriculture. What, what does it look like in Scotland then uh, going forward? How you see it? I know just how challenging it is and I've been hearing about some of the challenges at my visit at AgriSpot today but I'm really optimistic about the future and I think that there are so many opportunities there as well. So I think that's what I really want to, to capitalise on. I want to see people come into the industry and I really want to see it thrive and that's really what I'm trying to do in setting out in this role. You certainly seem optimistic and very enthusiastic may I say as well and you look like you're really enjoying your role there, would, would, would that be right? I do enjoy it, I'm not going to lie though, it is really challenging. I mean, as I was saying, every part of my portfolio, I'm responsible for fisheries, for aquaculture, for food and drink, every area is going through a huge transformation, which is it's really difficult, it's complex to manage, but yeah, getting out and about, speaking to farmers, crofters, land managers across Scotland, definitely one of the highlights of the job, really helping me learn, and that's why I really want to support them. And, and, and we at Top Lines and Tails are very much involved in the red meat sector and uh, you eat red meat yourself? Oh, absolutely. What's your favourite? I've been thinking about this and yeah, it's a really difficult question to, for me to answer, but I think you can be a ribeye steak, but also I think when I'm looking at what I'm cooking and one thing that I feel like I do really well is a slow roast shoulder of lamb as well. It's, it's hard to pick between those two, but I think, yeah. That would I'll, I'll pick two. I can't narrow it down to just one. <laughs> You're a woman after my own heart on the same <laughs> role, too, Ronnie. Well, Mary, thank you very much for taking the time to, to, to come to this event and particularly for talking to us on, on Top Lines and Tales. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks very much. So, got with me now on the podcast Alex Stephen from Inch of Arnhall. And uh, Alex, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, and you very much are involved in, in the research as well as a, as a big dairy farm. As a lot of big dairy farmers here. I know we're 300 plus Holsteins and, 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 and you run robots and, and uh, highly mechanized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think the um, I mean, staffing for not just dairying, but it's a big problem. And so the robots give you a bit more flexibility and allows the man to spend more time focusing on the health of the cows, which ultimately in the end is probably the most important thing. So, I, I was um, told that it didn't quite replace a man, but it gave the man a chance to do something else. Yeah, yeah. I think you definitely cut down on your... You, whether you cut it down or you're just able to spend time doing other things is probably the better, uh -huh. better way of describing it. And as we've, we've mentioned a few times, it's very difficult to get people to milk cows these days. Yeah. Nobody wants to do that job anymore. No, no, no. I can understand coming from out with the industry, yeah. but uh, <laughs> obviously something you've probably grown up with. And I've also got with me uh, got with me Caitlin Palmer and, and Caitlin you are uh, research and development within Harborough when you've worked very closely with Alex and the research side of, of, of the, the livestock feed side. Yes absolutely yeah for the last um, couple of years now we've had this research alliance uh, with the Stevens um, looking at what we can be doing to improve their system but also the industry in general and what advice we're giving out to dairy farmers. Okay and, and you grow a whole crop and, and, and your own homegrown cereals yeah, mainly? Yeah. Yeah, so um, up until well, in 2018, we got the chance to some more ground. So now we're completely self-sufficient, other than straights and um, straw and most of our basic cereals. Um, we grow a wheat whole crop and a wee bit of winter barley whole crop, and then latterly we've um, started growing a um, a mix of pea beans and lupins to try and grow a bit of our own uh, okay. protein. Okay. So, 
Okay. And, and, and going back to the robots then, you feed the, well, you have your own range of nuts, I believe, that, that you two guys have developed between yourselves. Yeah, we um, used our rationing software, Nutronics, and we looked at the Stevens ration and then did a bespoke compound to fit the ration and what, you know, what the, what the Stevens were trying to achieve with their performance and their, and their butter fats and proteins as well. Okay. And, and okay, so you're, yeah, you're, you're producing your averaging right about the 36 uh, kg there on, yeah. on, on that, uh, on that ration and you use the robot feeding you can put three or four different components all at one time so you put liquid feed and you can't you can do that we we don't do it we just feed one um i think there's a sometimes a bit of a debate in terms of robots whether how you should split the the feeding between the trough and then the robots the robot company tells you put everything through the robot the feed companies tell you put it down the trough so Uh it's a bit of a balance but we just keep it kind of simple and just feed the the dairy compound in the um, in the robot, in the robot. Itself, well, obviously yeah. that encourages the cows to come in as well as yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, yeah, we've heard a bit about that today. Uh, and you uh, you sell your milk through uh, Muller Tesco, but uh, you're one of the top carbon audited herds there. So tell us a bit more about sort of carbon audit that's going on in, in the in the dairy industry. Um, well, well, they're obviously. Uh, I mean, we've been doing carbon audits quite a long time now. That the, there's a lot of um, new kind of carbon audits starting. People haven't done, but it's, like we've done, been doing them probably, probably six or seven years. Like we're kind of, it's not really a big deal anymore. It's kind of just part of the the process. Um, I think there's a wee bit of debate as to how the carbon audits, how the carbon score is created. Uh-huh. Um, it's sometimes figures are shifted, and then you get a different. You know, so I'm not sure it's a. a I don't know. Not sure it's highly important, but well, not not highly important, but like but, it's. But it is something that's shifting everybody now. Yeah, we're talking about yeah. carbon audits, all this, as you said, it's manipulating the figures maybe to start with. But think, in the, yeah. the long term, everybody's pulling together the same. Yeah, thing and I think it's we're there. all trying to be better, which I think is the most important thing. Yeah, so and, and you also got involved in a project with uh, with weighing weighing your calves and the heifers, electronic weighing. How, yeah, get to set in that up. Yeah, just I think it's it's impossible find it very difficult to know how the animals are doing unless you're weighing them. Um, we're obviously, probably one thing we have improved is our calving age. We've probably brought that down probably four months. Uh, and a lot of that's down to knowing that they weren't growing fast enough. Um, and you can obviously work, tailor how you're feeding them to um, try and hit those targets. So it just allows you to see more accurately how the animals are doing. Um, but I think you don't want to be weighing them too often because probably if we try and weigh them four times a year, then you're getting a good average of how the cattle are actually sure. doing. Sure. Um, and you run your own followers through and they're, they're, they're weighed on that system? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, all the calves um, that come out of the uh, beef and Holstein are all finished, uh, grown and finished on farm. And, and are you doing more work with Stephen with regards to research? I know Harbro put a lot of effort and money into research on all sorts of things. Is there more research and, and work down the, the pipeline for you, Kate, in your, in your role with Stephen and with other places? For that yeah, matter? so, I mean, in terms of it, Hall, Hall, um, we're just kind of in discussions about what we're going to do next. Um, we've looked at kind of reduced carbon footprint feeds and we've looked at a feed additive in the robots as well, and uh, the compound for the robots to see if that increased visits. But in terms of research in general, it's just about What's needed looked at at the present time in terms of in the industry, what the industry asking for, and then what actually the dairy farmers asking for as well, and just tailoring the research. It's very fast moving, so just tailoring the research to what's happening in the current situations. Okay.
Yeah, that's very interesting. I was talking to the the cabinet secretary earlier on and and, and saying what you know, where else can you can you develop a what should Harbour be putting the development in? And that's pretty much what she said that and the technology. So, well, you guys do a great job with that and, and a commendable job if you're involved in the research of Harbour and, and, and a great company to work with. And uh, um, it's a super pleasure to speak to you, um, Alex. So, yeah. thanks very much for taking no, the no, time. Well, okay. and, and Caitlin, likewise with yourself, so you're doing a great job there. So, Thank you. great Thank to speak you. to you. Right. So, I've got with me now Alistair Kingham. And uh, <clears throat> Alistair, you were Beef Farmer of the Year, I think, uh, two or three years ago, maybe pre COVID. Uh, 2019. 2019, so yeah. the, last, the last one then pre COVID, yeah. I guess, yeah. 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 Uh, and back then, more in, in the commercial side of, of, of livestock production, but I gather you've moved more now into beef from dairy. Yes, we're conventionally a beef finisher, but we're moving into dairy because I don't know where the, the conventional beef will end up with the amount of cows that are going off. We're just hearing that, that I think in the last three years, something like 50,000 suckler cows have gone out of Scotland and, and more going down the same way. It could be that. I, I wouldn't know the figure at all, but it's quite scary, I would think. And what sort of numbers of, of, of beef? You're buying, buying calves in, I, I guess, and finishing those? Yeah, we're buying uh, conventional beef in. About, we're doing about 800 of those. And then dairy beef's going to be over a thousand going forward, hopefully. So you're, you're, you're finishing 800 conventional beef? Uh, no, 1400 conventional beef at the moment. Okay. And then we're going to we're going to wheel out some of the poorer quality conventional beef. Uh -huh. Maybe that'll wheel out naturally because of the cows going off. I don't know. Right, so you're bringing you're buying in um, um, beef cows from dairy, and, and some of those are Richard Barber, I gather. Is that yeah, like a fairly yeah. big operation they've yeah. got that going yeah. going so, there? And, and what's what are the breeding of these? What would the, the bull be beyond most of these? Uh, the sire of most of these calves? Sorry, Angus. They would be Angus. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. pretty much all Angus. They're yeah. all Angus. Yeah. Supposedly, but some of them I can't say that. And would the Angus would the cows vary a little bit? Is it is it is there um uh, is there good consistency through the, the the calf product that you're getting? No, in? there's not. And I think some of the dairy farmers need to up their game. Okay. Uh, there's very they're very inconsistent. Some some of them. And that will obviously reflect. You'll be getting figures back from the animal that you're finishing. Yeah. Animals you're finishing, and you're getting quite a varied, a varied rate yeah. of carcasses and, 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 and ages and varied weight of weight gain, etc. From the same herd. And, and, and are you pretty religious on recording all that? Do you have all that information yeah. fired back into your electronic yeah. tags and such like? So we're all EID. Uh, we're getting kind of better at this cost of production because that's the way for all well, that. We need to do that now, both to keep sanity and basically to keep everybody on board. Uh huh. And, and with that number of cattle, we're talking about of, of, of up to a thousand um, Angus Cross you know, dairy calves. There, where are you putting those away to? Who's your main main customer for those? The dairy calves I've not got home for yet. Okay. <laughs> but the conventional beef all go to Stoddarts. Okay. Okay. And and you are a customer of Harbrow, and I've got Jill Hunter with me. He's been here all day. It hasn't been on the podcast. So Jill, say hello to our listener because Jill's one of our main sponsors. Hello there. Hi. And Jill, you'll supply a lot of, of products. Um, into Alistair here at, at uh, in Dumfries set. Yeah, we do. Um, I guess the biggest thing would be the, the Maximon that we sell to, to Alistair to complement the homegrown cereal and then the, the minerals that go alongside that with okay. the Mumitech the in there as well. Okay. And, and the beef from dairy, are we, are we finishing some of these outside or is everything now going to be inside? It's all inside. It's all going to be inside. Yeah. inside yeah. So they're, all, they're on forage crops outside, some of them, some are inside. It just depends what year, what age they are at the time of year. Okay. Okay. There would always be a proportion of their time spent outside. Yes. They'll all see grass. They'll all see grass, yeah, that's, yeah. that's fair enough. And so I gather this is a reasonably new venture, so you just put your first lot, your first lot away just now? Uh, yes. <coughs> it's, uh, it's been a steep learning curve. Mm -hmm. uh, 
I was very much uh, doing the conventional stuff in my sleep, so it's been a, a very big learning curve. But I think it's the way forward uh-huh. uh, for the future of, to mix up the future of my business. Expensive risk more, and the, the demand is growing. And, and, and the genetics amongst the dairy industry for the bulls that they're putting on, they say, it, 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 is increasing. So maybe we might see a more consistency of supply. And, and, and I time think goes well, I appreciate Alistair you chatting to us there about, about the change, and it's interesting that we are seeing this change within the industry towards the dairy for beef. And it was something that was predicted to me maybe ten years ago that this, this would would come, and uh, and we're seeing more and more of it going going into the system. And uh, hopefully, uh, everybody's doing well out of it. That's that's all for anyway. Okay. Cool. Well, thanks very much for your time. Thank you very much. Okay. So getting later on in the day now here at AgriScot, I've managed to catch up with uh, Sarah Miller, who's the CEO of QMS. And uh, hopefully Sarah's colleague, Kate, who I think is the chairman, is going to join us in a minute. But in the meantime, uh, Sarah, welcome to Top Lines and Tails podcast. Thank you. Delighted to be here. And Sarah, you, you've uh, you've recently been appointed to this role there, so uh, you, you've hit the ground with a baptism of fire, maybe. Yeah, so I took up the reins uh, on the 11th of April this year just to the point where the conflict in Ukraine was really ratcheting up and that that has put a huge amount of strain on our entire supply chain the external operating environment that you know I would say we were used to you know the normal rules of trade have been turned on their head and that's put a huge amount of pressure concern on businesses from farmers all the way through the supply chain um, the one benefit you know, I'm, I'm ever the optimist that, that this has given is for the first time food security is now being taken seriously and that for me is an absolute positive you know if we can say anything positive coming out of this it's that indeed and of course you take the ukraine but obviously brexit came in before that and the farming roles have changed and the farming industry has changed but you the scottish red meat sector provides 2.1 billion i think i'm right into the economy and around 50,000 jobs and QMS, you're really you're at the heart of that. You almost represent that in in, in in a main way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's part of what we're, we try and do at QMS because we we do we generate over two point one billion pounds for the Scottish economy. We employ over fifty thousand people across the supply chain. The most important thing, though, is that economic distribution will touch almost every single local authority community. The the red meat supply chain because particularly livestock production is across the whole of Scotland is something that's not just beholden to one region or one part, which I think is a, makes, positions us very uniquely as a sector to support communities, society and, and the economy as a whole. Sure. Let's just talk about sort of QMS's actual actual role, should I say. And are, you, are you a public body answering directly to the government? Would that be fair? Yeah, so we are what is called an NDPB, a non-departmental public body. And what that means is because we collect uh, a parafiscal tax in the form of the levy that is paid on every animal that is slaughtered in Scotland, we have to be audited by the, the public accounts service to make sure that we are using that money fairly and in a transparent manner. So that that is why we're an NDPB. Other than that, we operate as as a normal organisation. We have a board who are appointed by the Cabinet Secretary um, and by Public Appointments Scotland. And then we have a, a team of individuals who are you know, really excited to lead um, on behalf of the industry to promote, develop, support and protect the Scottish red meat supply chain. And most of that board would be farmers themselves. I know one or two people have sat on that in the past and most of them would be productive and, and forward-thinking farmers, wouldn't they? So it is written into our constitution that 50% of our board have to be levy payers. Okay. 
Okay. And I've got a few questions. We run a, a podcast very much in the red meat sector in, in, in beef and sheep. For all, we're at a dairy event today, but some of my listeners do come back to me from time to time. And QMS normally gets a good press and always gets mentioned. But I've got a few questions from sort of some of those, some of the family farms that maybe some a little bit worried about their future. And the first one is, is about suckler cows. And the suckler cow, we know the numbers are diminishing very fast, as we've heard earlier on. The, the rewilding that's going on now confuses a few people as well. And, and is it a subject we can touch on? I mean, what's your message that we, how we can safeguard the suckler cow industry? Yeah, and, and you know, right now with the cost and pressures facing all farming businesses, but, but you know, including suckler producers, there is no magic bullet in this. I think that that is fair to say. What I would say though, that is in terms of where our strengths are and where I believe we play a constructive and full part in the future of Scottish agriculture is around the production of red meat protein in a changing climate. So, you know, one of the things we hear lots about just now is, you know, what are producers or the red meat supply chain doing about climate change? And every single farmer, processor, haulier, auction market, you know, we're all doing what we can within our businesses to mitigate climate change. There is another side to this, though, that actually a changing climate, you know, climate change will change our climate, places Scotland uniquely, in the, I, I believe, as a place to produce red meat protein, you know, going back to that food security argument. Um, so where I think that gives us an opportunity is if we can stabilise the current cost base that is putting that pressure on the industry, that positions us in a really strong place looking into the future in terms of that production of protein because we can do it within the climate parameters. That change in climate, you know, we're going to have enough water to continue to produce red meat protein. That's a huge benefit that many other countries across the world do not have looking into 2030 and beyond. Certainly is, is a climate change is a subject on everybody's lips and nobody's quite sure the, the exact amount, the exact science behind it, but definitely seems to be evidence of that. And uh, as somebody said to me recently, they used to grow grapes on Hadrian's Wall, so maybe the summer is uh, is moving further north in, in Scotland and a bit of sun cream. But yes, you're right, it is, uh, there's definitely opportunities there for the red meat sector if, if climate change is but, going but forward. But we do need to absolutely stabilise that, that trading environment that we're in because we are seeing suckler cows being forced out and it's through challenges through their forestry you know, competing for land or it's the, the, the unsustainable cost base um, and what we're doing at QMS in terms of our promotional work is making sure that that demand side of the supply and demand um, equation is being maintained and we're working with retailers, we were out in the export markets um, just a couple of weeks ago and that is what we are there to do to, to promote the Scotch brands in front of consumers and making sure that we're getting that that presence in retailers and making sure that we're giving customers every single reason to pick it up on the shelf. And, and you, you, you touched on something else that again our listeners obviously are all concerned about is the export market and obviously you mentioned biosecurity and it looks now that it's going to, farm assurance is going to become more, more of, a, of a necessity to the, to the Scottish farmer, to the whole farming nation but you know, the export market is a hot topic. What can we collectively do, what more than we're doing anyway, to see that see those export markets coming back? So we were out in Seattle just a few weeks ago uh, in Paris, which was probably the worldwide premier um, export trade show. We had more interest than we ever have done from processors, processors are looking at those export markets. So in terms of what, what we do at QMS is when we talk about exports, it's not it's not always just about the trade deals. It's about getting that market access and removing barriers to trade along the supply chain. 
So part, a big part of our work is making sure that we've got processors authorised to export into the markets they're looking to, making sure they've got the data and insight. If they're looking to make an investment decision to go into a new export market, that we are giving them the, the, the resources they need to make that decision to say, actually, this is the size of the prize. If you invest X in, that's going to result in a volume growth of Y of your product. Um, we also do inward library missing, so bringing in chefs, retailers from the export markets over to Scotland to, to show them firsthand you know, what our farmers and producers are doing. You know, that all way, you know, the, the Scottish story sells in export markets. And that in, in, in turn is putting the demand on the government to, to change the policy and see if we can get some of this yep. lot moving. So companies like Harbro invest huge sums of money into research and development every year to, to drive innovation and make sure that farmers are efficient and profitable. And what areas would you like to see companies like Harbro you're putting the, the research in to help future-proof the industry going forward? So this is something that actually really excites me. Um, we've got a project running just now called the Scottish Red Meat Industry Net Zero Roadmap. And whilst the, the first part of that is proving that pathway to 2030 and then 2045 after that, the big thing that I'm looking for that to do is identify those areas of investment for us to close the gap. And I think beyond that, there's huge opportunities for companies like Harbour to bridge the gap between science and research institutes and actually how it's applied in commercial working farms. Because it's all very well science working in one environment, but it has to work under commercial you know, commercial environments and I think that's where companies like Harbo are absolutely pivotal in, in that story and in that in that pathway to net zero that, that we have to follow. No, that, that's excellent and they are trying the very hardest to do that yeah. and they do listen to, to everybody including yourselves of course and just move on farming itself is, is a very diverse business as we know with everything from the the dog and stick guys up to the most efficient some of the most efficient businesses in the UK are, are farms we know that and you want to go to look around this event to see that. Um, do we need to carry on getting those switched on farmers even more switched on and even more efficient? Or is it more about bringing the guy, the lower guys maybe back up, up to the, the, the bottom third, should I say, by bringing those into catch up? So we've just launched our enterprise costings uh, report here today at AgriScot. And what that has shown is that the, the gap between the top 25% and the bottom 25% is growing. So I would actually say we need to do both. What we are very good at in Scotland is, is leading the world. We've got some of the best research institutes, we've got some of the best farms, and we need to continue to do that to ensure that we can demonstrate what good looks like to the rest of the world. So maybe we're very proud of that we have done for a long time, but we also need to make sure that we are investing in our whole industry. And um, again, one of the other things we've done at AgriScot today is launch a new monitor farm program, which is specifically targeted to do that place-based knowledge transfer. It's you know, what works in Dumfries based on you know, Dumfriesshire farmers. So you can get those, we know that there's no one size fits all in farming. Every community needs its own pathway and its own its own community to, to help develop them. Okay, um, so, so the monitor farms are basically volunteer farmers in various areas there that are working directly with you to try and try and unify everything. Yep, so we received £1.9 million worth of funding from the Scottish Government um, that was announced earlier this year. So we've just launched new nine new farms right across Scotland, right down from Dumfries in the south, up to Isla and up in Strathspey and Banff in the north. So really excited about that project. Um, it'll be running for the next four and a half years and will give us a massive opportunity to, to develop the industry 
in that transition to, like you say, that, that net zero pathway and profitability as well, to really examine what are the drivers at a local level, what are the things that we could do at a local level to help drive profitability across the sector. Okay, and, and I suppose my, my final question here is the average age of farmers is, is still growing, unfortunately, it's, it's not coming down as we sort of hoped it would, and the education's been put out there, but I mean, what do we say to our young listeners out there, and we have quite a few of those, that particularly in the pedigree, the showing side of it they love being in that but what can we say to those to encourage those to get a chance to actually get into farming in, in the commercial world and what can be done so this is something that's actually very close to my heart um, we need more people coming into the sector so we need new entrants we also need people who are already within the sector you know the sons and daughters of existing businesses to also want to take on careers and continue these businesses the two things that i think um we that could happen if we look to southern ireland they have a taxation system that incentivises let land. Okay. That is something, you know, our tenancy sector in Scotland, we don't have any kind of fluidity in it at all. Yeah. There, there's no opportunities coming through. Um, just now there's also a challenge in terms of the level of working capital that's required for businesses who are starting. But I think if you have that fluid tenancy sector, that could bring massive opportunities in terms of being able to get on the ladder. Um, other places around the world that, that do things very well and very differently are the likes of New Zealand who have share farming and more contract farming opportunities which gives that almost what I call a phase and approach. It gives, it gives individuals the opportunities to have their own businesses but, but actually to work sustainably to grow that businesses with another partner which I think is really important. That does sound a great, a great idea certainly to partner partner the old bit of young and that's you mentioned sustainability and of course that's a, that crops up all too often in every single conversation but what does the future of sustainable agriculture really look like in Scotland what is QMS's role in the sustainability side of it? So sustainability in my mind is threefold we have to have sustainably profitable supply chains and that's from farm right through to processor hauliers auction markets everyone in the chain has to be making money for any kind of supply chain to function if we don't have that, the next two pieces in terms of environmental sustainability and social sustainability will not happen. And if you don't have those businesses there on the ground, you're not going to have grazing livestock, which then enhances biodiversity and, and maintains our landscapes, which then also means you don't have the people tied to the ground. Livestock's great because they tie people to communities, they tie people to the land. It's not like other industries where you know you can have people flying in to do a couple of days work in a certain community to fly out. Fundamentally, livestock production keeps people within a place which I think is hugely important to Scotland's rural economy. Well I got you on that one and uh, do you believe that first step is being taken and we are going forward in the right direction with this? I think um, so at the moment we're going through the throes of the, the new Ag Bill in Scotland so it's out for consultation just now and I think what, what has to be front and centre of that is we have to stabilise the profitability of our supply chains. That, that food production has to be front and centre. Um, yes we have our net zero legislative obligations and that has to be a focus too but if we don't have farms full stop we are not going to be able to undertake the actions necessary to move the country as a whole to net zero and to be able to also meet our biodiversity targets so that has to be the first thing that we do and it should be a central pillar um, to any future policy well, Sarah, you've, you've, as you mentioned, you've come up through the, through the ranks with QMS for quite a while and you certainly sound like you do have a plan and you're only recently into this role as well. So this plan looks like it's extend, extending for the, the next few years and, and you're definitely making strides already. I'm, I'm really, really honoured to be in this role. Um, I come from, I, was, I said to someone earlier, um, I did my time, I grew up on a, a wet hill farm in Lanarkshire. You know, I've kept, kept cattle and sheep and, and mud up to my knees. So 
I, I'm personally invested in the future success and that really drives me um, and I'm really excited to, to drive and work with the industry going forward as well and I think you know we are nothing without our people as I keep saying and it's um, whilst it is tough times and genuinely tough times I also think there are lots of opportunities to be optimistic um, and it's, it's, it's within our grasp so I, I keep saying this is ours to lose but we need to work together to do that. And you talk about working together, your colleague who was supposed to be with us, but she's got way late, probably in the bar. There isn't a bar, to be fair, but she's got way late, so we can talk about it now. But Kate is your is your, your chairman, or chairperson, should I say, and she's also from a family farming background, and you two guys get on well together. Yeah, get on really well. Kate, and Kate's been a massive support to me coming into the role. Um, Kate, actually, her family farm's not too far away from where I grew up, um, so we're kind of from a very similar background and have very similar, you know, when we talk about our purpose and what we're looking to do, you know, we're very aligned in terms of where we want to go, which is really exciting, really exciting. It certainly is exciting, and it's been exciting to talk to you, actually. It's nice to, to talk to somebody that knows exactly what they want out of the industry and where they're going, and let's hope that what you want and, and, and what happens is, is, is one and the same there. Sarah, thank you very much for talking no to us. No problem. Thank you. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Cool. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Top Lines and Tales. And it is a, it's a great pleasure for me not only to have Harbour as a sponsor, but to be able to work closely with them, uh, such as the situation this week. Uh, the two of us working, I think, uh, quite well together. And, and I do thank them very much for the introductions they made for me to get in to speak to some fairly high-profile uh, uh, people this week. And uh, their the sponsorship is always very welcome. You can, of course, find out more about Harborough by visiting their website or finding them on social media and various other other parts. And while we're on the subject of social media, don't forget to take a look at our Top Lines and Tales Facebook page where you'll find photographs and contributions from a lot of our listeners. And please feel free to contribute your, yourself to uh, anything you think relevant to this or anything else that uh, that we cover on Top Lines and Tales. And if you are a first-time listener, welcome to, the, welcome to listening to the podcast. And there's over 100 more podcasts to go back and uh, take another listener listen to so uh, um, welcome